Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I want to thank my parents in heaven for sponsoring this special segment on conception, gestation, pregnancy, and I would say delivery. You can't omit the delivery part. You know, many of us are traveling and love traveling to different parts of the world. We go to Egypt and we want to know about the lost civilization of Atlantis. Some of us go to the Andes. Other, others of us will go to Africa and other ancient places looking for the ancientness, attracted to the ancientness. But many of us forget that in the modern times, the ancientness is right here. We are made of this ancient primordial primal experience gestation, pregnancy, and conception. I'm very excited because our guest today is a champion of the sacredness of women being pregnant, the pregnancy process, bringing the mystery of conception into full articulation with distinction. I met her over 25 years ago when I went to her husband to see if he would produce a a renaissance of the arts for me to fund a next generation broadcast network. And I have to tell you, when I first met our guest, I thought, hmm, this is a little strange what she's talking about. What is she talking about? What is this conception? <laughs> when you look in the dictionary what conception is, you'll be amazed that what it, what, how it explains it is wildly biological. But when our guest explains it, it's totally different. It takes on a totally different life and understanding. Laura Uplinger is the scriptwriter of A Gift for the, un, for, un, for the Unborn Children, a 26-minute documentary on prenatal life filmed in 1985. It received five stars for production for the content at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 1989. She's a board member of the Association of Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health, from May 1988 to June 1999, she chaired two of its international congresses, Web Ecology and World Ecology in Washington, D.C., and Birth and the Human Family, Embracing the Power of Prenatal Life in Los Angeles in 2007. Since 2006, she's been part of a team teacher's team of a yearly post-graduation course on primal health. Some science, for some scientists, the primal period goes from conception to the child's first birthday at the University of Concepcion in Chile. Vice President, she is, of the Brazilian National Association for Prenatal Education since 2016. And with its president, organized each of the 12 modules of the 18 months training course since 2015. She's also a member of the Board of Directors of the World Organization of the Association of Prenatal Education. She's a daily volunteer at the Gestational Center, Harmony for Life, in the town of San Sebastian. It, was, it is a Brazilian public health initiative, first in its genre, as it combines the public health sector and civil society to foster pregnant women's well-being. It is my great pleasure and honor to welcome the roomie of the prenatal world, Laura Uplinger, to its rainmaking time. It's a great pleasure to have you. Oh, Kim, what a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for that introduction. And <laughs> It's all true. It's all true. And I must apologize because over 25 years ago, I did think the subject was so esoteric and so 
out there. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. And it shows you that a lot of the receptivity changes in the, with the coming of age and the test of time. Do you agree? I agree. I agree. But it's also very strange. I mean, you were quick, believe it or not, to go over that barrier. This, there is a resistance. I have been trying to tell the media some things before um, in the organization of a conference, for instance. But there is a resistance. Don't we want to look at this phase of our own life? What is it that restrains us? On the other hand, it's such a universal, um, mythological, uh, anthropological feat. Pregnancy is important. From Hopi Indians to Bantus to Mongolians, there's always a chapter dedicated to what a pregnant woman should dedicate her days to. It's all, always speaking about her imagination, her sensitivity, her connection to the Most High. So it's universal. It has been forever with us, but we don't want to look into it. How strange. You right? know, so, some people would say, I'm sorry to cut in here so soon. Some people may assume and say, look, Pregnant women are treated so well in society. They're very loved. People are always celebrating with them when they see them. People appreciate them. Why do you feel it or know or assert that it's different? Well, Kim, the amount of anguish that pregnancy brings to women, even the wanted pregnancy, the planned pregnancy, um, they wonder about how, of course, how the baby is doing, but they have to, they have to please so many people, the parents, the in-laws, the companion, the friends, the doctor. It's fraught with um, conversations. In the, when you're expecting, you're, you're waiting for your turn in line at the post office or at the supermarket. People will tell you about horrendous pregnancies, and uh, you'll have what. You want a natural birth, but you were born uh, from a C-section and you're fine. So it's very strange things from brothers and sisters. Um, she's, okay, a point of celebration, but also a target. As if many of the anguishes from long ago or new ones are also going to be served to her. And what if something goes wrong? And, um, There's a lot of fear. There usually is a lot of fear mongering between, it seems like between the doctor, a family has fear, be careful of this, be careful of that, a lot of that. But isn't that a general, uh, normal protectiveness of family, friends, the medical community? I think it was, it, they can't protect. The only way to protect a woman is to inspire her. To, to, make, to make sure that she is feeling joy, her own joy. Now, we are confronting a tsunami from our past that can engulf us. In some times in Europe, um, 16th, 15th century, one out of five women would die of childbirth. So it's not an imaginary risk. We can hemorrhage. We, there's so many things that can happen. It's true. And doctors are taught everything that can go wrong. Certified nurse midwives are also taught that, but not to the same extent. Lay midwives usually are more, more trustful of birth. If you, uh, there was at one point in the U.S. an invitation to a group of lay midwives 
to have the um, the training like a certified nurse midwife would have. And they accepted. They had been for decades in, in, in home birth and all that. So they did their training. They did very well. And some years later, they were asked, did that help you in your practice? What, be, what was new for you after you took the training? And most of them said, fear. So that's, there's an anthropologist uh, of birth, Robbie Davis Floyd from the University of Austin, Texas, who reports that very well. There's a fear. If I t- you're starting your car in the morning, and I tell you every single kind of accident that can happen to you, from running a, 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 over a bicycle, a cyclist, or getting under the bus. I think it would, I think, Laura, I think it'd be helpful to share with the audience how delivery, the birth process got turned over to the medical establishment, this transition, how it started. You know, we did a piece on midwifery many years ago with Water Birth International and somehow in changing websites, we lost it. We can't find it. I think we did too. I think you should talk about this. This is so important, how it switched from the way women always gave birth to being on our backs in a hospital. What happened? Yes. One of the things that happened and that is supposed to be seminal for, for, for childbirth is that in the palaces in royalty, it was very important to see, everybody needed to see the birth, which is a first mistake because birth should never be a social event. It's like lovemaking. I mean, good luck. If you need people looking, I don't know. I think there's more pleasure in the lovemaking side, (laughs) in my in my opinion. But anyway, (laughs) of course, I haven't had a child. I haven't had a child. My child flew the coop. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) But what happened is that one of these palaces was Versailles with Louis XIV, and um, he. Well, you know, they had children with several concubines, those kings and everything. But there was one was going to be the heir. And um, the doctor at that point, the, the, the man was fat, was chubby and fat, and certainly did not want to kneel down. So he would ask the women to lie down, the litotomy position, as they call it, and so that everybody could see the child coming. It was much easier for that doctor to receive um, the child. No, I thought it was a king. You mean it was just a doctor? Uh, for the king, the king was there. The oh, the king, king was the, there. I got you. So the doctor the asked. Okay. Yeah. The one receiving the baby was that doctor. He was kind of a midwife. We're talking about a medicine before um, we understood germs, before so many things. I mean, came the lack of, um, I mean, they would, in those huge um, salons of Versailles with a gallery of, of mirrors, it would, would smell urine and feces. Um, people would lose their teeth by the age of 30, so that they had those beautiful, um, um, how to say, those fans. And um, perfume. Who was the doctor? Who? Sorry, Laura. Who was the doctor that figured out that one of the reasons that people were getting sick in the hospitals that these doctors weren't washing their hands? <laughs> who was that? I. I I will look into it. It's it's easy to find. He noticed because women went to give birth in the hospital, many of them, 
and many died of a fever after delivering. Huge infection, sepsis, death. And um, he looked into the whole situation. He was a kind of an epidemiologist without knowing it. And he realized that the only women who did not have that fever and did not die were the ones attended by the midwives. So how could Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. What happened here? And the only difference that he could understand is that doctors would spend sometimes hours um, in autopsies, you know, of the dead bodies, trying oh my to understand God. what happened. And they would not they would just wipe their hands but not wash them and then go and check on women after they had given birth. This is not so a good in, deal. <laughs> no, we call it death. A dead body is a huge explosion of life. The amount of bacteria that take over is amazing. It's, the more bacteria come in than when we are um, alive, as we say. But isn't that still true even in the hospitals like right now? Sorry to interrupt you on this, but... When you talk about bacteria, so many people go into a hospital and they think, oh, it's sterile, it's clean and everything. And you've got all kinds of bad bacteria in there that are breeding like there's no tomorrow. And people get all, all kinds of stuff uh, just being in the hospital of today. Yes, because what, when they clean in the hospital, they use very powerful detergents. Many, many of the bacteria and viruses, they die. Okay. But those who don't die and become resistant, they become much stronger. So anybody going for any kind of procedure in the hospital, especially if their immune system is down, they are at risk. And uh, I, I lost a friend some years ago, extraordinary man, who went for a simple um, heart surgery, something simple. But it, he got one of those viruses. He survived years with that infection, always with the um, the threat of sepsis. And he had almost like a, at home, he had a little hospital room for him, but didn't resist. It was one bacteria, doctors couldn't go around. So yes, it's dangerous. And for the very first time, I'm going to breathe. If I'm a baby being born in a hospital, my microbiome will be very poor, not very intelligent. And if I am born at home, I will breathe some air and all the germs that my mother is used to, those are friendly germs that I will make my microbiome, which will do all the gut flora, the skin flora. And uh, this is so important to know. What, for, because of the microbiome, some say that home birth will get their credentials soon back, a safe home birth. Once this process has been taken over, and become a medical procedure rather than an organic process. It's good luck getting it back. I mean, it's been how many years and it's still not back, right? A lot of the midwives are under intense regulation, disdain from the medical establishment and have to fight tooth and nail to have it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Laura Uplinger on its rainmaking time. Did you know that Queen Isabella funded Christopher Cologne. No, we're not going to go there <laughs> because even that is very controversial now. Of course, it would be even more controversial if I told you he never discovered America, but we won't go there because that show was done years ago and you can look for that on its rainmaking time. I never said it. Okay. But I want you to know that its rainmaking time has been financed by myself, my income, 
whatever I've had, I've financed it for years. But if you really want to see it expand, if you want to see even a different production quality, um, uh, more enhancing visuals, if you want to be able to pull in many different type of guests, I have a vision of seeing uh, uh, screens both behind me where you can see them and in front of me and walking into feels like a theater to me for some reason. I don't know why, but feels like a theater. And I can go like this and I can go like this. And magically, these people, these guests appear. I've seen this for like 30 years. So I want to call in sponsors that are free and clear to either pay in Bitcoin, gold, silver, platinum, and if they must, currency. Notice I'm not saying what currency, but currency. And it's rainmaking time would really fly faster if we had other people participating. So we want to invite those sponsors that are receptive and interested in the work that I do and the work that we're doing and the team that's involved in the technical aspect of its rainmaking time. And if you'd like to see a more broad scope of content, we're ready for you. And it takes care of having to have a mega sponsor. Of course, the bigger the sponsor, the more potential politics you could get in if god forbid you say something that somebody didn't like and somebody told somebody that told somebody to cancel you so we're open we're ready and it's rainmaking time let's do it thank you very much and back to the show we got to go back to conception because i think uh we don't want to lose the audience on really a part of big part of what this is about what does prenatal mean before the birth which is how many months? Because, you know, there's different translations of this. Mm -hmm. You can go one year before conception until birth. One year before conception? It, it could okay, be. Okay, hold on. This is the esoteric part that, <laughs> I, that I, I got lost 25 years ago. Now, I'm looking at the dictionary.com, one of the translations of conception. Are you ready? I hope I can do this with a straight face. The fertilization of an ovum by a sperm in the fallopian tube followed by implantation in the womb. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, the little con conceived entity there multiplying its cells will at some point need to be nourished, need food. So it has to go underneath the, um, uh, the, 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 the uterus skin, I mean the wall there, and it's an nidation, it will be nested there. So it's an implantation of sorts. Um, well, yeah. It's true that conception, you will see, the one you can see in, in assisted conception is that you see the sperm getting to the, the, the ovum. But that's not the conception necessarily space you're talking about, is it? No, because this is the end of the conception. The real moment, and when we speak about conscious conception, this is what we mean, is the couple getting together and making love. And that ejaculation, that first flow, that's the fractal. That's when conception occurs. Everything that will happen later on until sperm and egg meet um, will be influenced, enormously influenced by how it happened. It's as if I throw something like a stone the quality of the flight of that stone and how it will fall in a lake, for instance, depends on how I threw it. And so, the throwing is uh -huh. the conception. You know, this 
I'm absolutely not uh, speaking in a condescending way, but it sounds like there is a poetic embrace in the way you're articulating ejaculation. And you've, you've put in the lovemaking. The thing is, there is the lovemaking, but then there's also the just pure sex where the ejaculation happens and women get pregnant with that as much as they get pregnant with the lovemaking. And so that's my assumption. I'll take away. I don't know anything about it. All I can say is that sometimes you get the lovemaking and it's the real lovemaking. And a lot of times it's the sex and the pure ejaculation. So, and you had the explanation, Kim, this is the very explanation why we have humanity behaving the way it behaves, why we have a humanity lacking so much in health, lacking so much in empathy, lacking so much in, in enthusiasm for life, the quality of that lovemaking. In the Vedas, the very ancient um, tradition in India, over 5,000 years ago, they say Older than us. conception is the most important moment of our lives. You know, you said these two kinds of conception. There's a third kind. For instance, you know about breakup sex? Um, it's really so, good. <laughs> it's yeah, the best. But then, it's then fabulous sex. Yes, but then comes a baby. The couple has been together for five years. They really like each other, but they're going to say goodbye because now their lives are going to go apart. So for one last time, they hug each other. The woman It's the is best sex, up. I swear to God. The well, breakup sex the is so good. So is that, as Sima Anand, Anand said in, in um, the Kamsutra interview, also, so is the big, you have the big fight and then you have the makeup sex. Now that's really good too. And I'll bet there's a lot of pregnancies with that. Yes, those are the two paroxysms that a woman gets into because she's feeling so much. You know, after uh, the, the, the makeup sex or the breakup sex, she will ovulate. Even out in the cycle, she was not out of to. Out of the cycle? Yes. So you have the worst biochemistry because in the mind, peace is made, but the body is still trembling of the intensity of for, because of the intensity of the fight. And then you have a conception that is very poor, energetically speaking. And many of us, I cannot say most of us, but many of us were conceived like that. And the breakup sex, you have so many people say, my parents were, were, were separating, but they had sex one last time and I came, so they got back together. But then it's a... You don't have that surrender to the love in the love making and the offering to become a vessel for a, a new being coming in on earth. We, pregnancy is the time that we give a being an instrument for a whole lifetime. And I hope one day for more than a hundred years, but with health, with complete health, that first impulse, that first, um, contact with life and desire for life, this is a great recipe that will help you throughout pregnancy, throughout birth, breastfeeding. This I'm talking about the parents, but the child knows that he came with an invitation. He's not here as an intruder. Accident or, or mistake. Well, let me give you an example. I have to, I have to come out here a little bit. <laughs> God help me. God, please help me. Okay, so... I had a dear friend 
that I loved very much as a friend, as a brother. Okay, he was handsome. He was funny. He was magical. And for many years, he would say to me, you'd make a great mother. You'd really make a great mother. And I said, I'm on a mission. I can't be a mother this lifetime. She, he goes, no, I'm telling you, you really what? And later in life, he, he was separated from his wife. They were going to possibly get a divorce. I don't know what happened. The guy came over one Saturday night. I was staying in some strange place in Culver City. I was 42 years old. And we slept in the same bed. I don't know how that happened. I was staying in a place with, I think, 17 cats. I think I escaped to the top of the place. And I wasn't really in the mood to do it, but I did it. We did the deed. And somehow, okay, I broke all those taboos. Don't sleep with your friends. Da, 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 da. I broke the taboo. The next morning I got up. And I had this weird feeling. I thought something very strange happened. So it's cosmic. I felt totally cosmic, like doo 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 doo. <laughs> and about a month later, my breasts felt like I had engines in them. And I said to a friend of mine, I don't know what's going on. Like, my breasts feel like there's engines in them going, like separately, like on their own, like something's operating on its own. And anyway, at six weeks, I was six weeks and pregnant. And it really, like, I was in shock. And the thing is, I thought I had, and you're going to laugh because it's so stupid. I thought I had natural immunity because I didn't want to have a child. <laughs> I was on a mission. I had natural immunity. Of course, God knows this is not for me. I'm on a mission, God. You can't. And like, it's, I don't know. I was so stupid. I was so innocent and dumb. But the, the point I'm making to you, the point I'm making to you in the audience is that the intent is very important. Like, I should have stayed clear of that man because he made remarks to me for 15 years. He probably wanted to get me pregnant. I didn't know it. I love children, so maybe subconsciously there was interest. I always wanted one of my own. But um, the intent seems to be very important. If the man wants it and the woman doesn't, doesn't mean the woman's not going to get pregnant. Talk to that. Speak to that. Yes. First came the part of you who did not want a child. Right. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Somehow your body, the whole rest of your being, your subconscious say, okay, with this man, yes, I surrender. I accept. I can host a life. I must have been completely out of my mind. <laughs> In our subconscious, usually we are. Some women want so much to conceive, so much. I didn't. I didn't. Conceive. And I was late in life. I didn't. I was yeah. in shock. Yeah. But some don't conceive for years. Then something happens and change partner. And immediately with a new partner, they conceive. And the other partner goes with another woman and conceives. There's something in us that tells us. But it, I love your thinking. We should be the ones deciding because of what we want, if we are fertile or not. And it doesn't happen. So any paroxysm, any true surrender, any gorgeous lovemaking uh, can prompt an ovulation. And here we well, are. Well, I'll tell you, in this instance, I, God, I can't believe I'm talking like this. I hope he doesn't get mad at me out there in the world. Don't be mad. I have to say this. In this instance, though I loved him as a being... Okay, it wasn't like I was in love with him and it was sex to me. And I still got pregnant, but I love children very, very much. So just to tell you, it doesn't always happen the way you think. And 
the way you intend. And I agree with you that the subconscious plays a much bigger role. But let's talk about the cosmic side of this, too. That being, yes, you're bringing the father into the into this picture, and cosmic father is the one who goes and takes by the hand that child attracted to the couple. The 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 Hindus still in the Vedas they give a hundred percent of power at the moment of conception. Once the ejaculation is gone, the love making is done. It's a hundred percent with the woman for nine months. So you see here, conception is equal to nine months of pregnancy. It's the same value, hundred percent the man at the beginning, hundred percent the woman for the rest of the nine months, nine ten months. But didn't you tell me also that the Vedas talked about this space? There's something you described to me in a pre-conversation to this to to this uh, podcast that the Vedas talk about this primordial or this ancient something that comes that comes together some space opens in conception for something literally to come into manifestation yes that what is it the beginning of the construction of a body is extraordinary according to the the hindu tradition and many other traditions according to which being is coming from the universe attracted to that couple wanting to live a lifetime on earth. Apparently, not all of us come here because we want. Some of us are impatient to come, but some of us are very reluctant. And our guides on the other side push us, no, no, you're going to have, but I don't want to go back. I want to stay here. No, time, no, your time here is done for time because through our five senses, through our body, we experience life in a way no angel no soul can experience. They cannot even take a little uh, a cup of tea. They can't grasp anything. They can't feel the taste of a mango or a pear or a peach. They cannot smell. They cannot uh, feel the touch, the embrace of a loved one. I think there is a movie, Angels in Los Angeles, something like that, where there is this angel who wants to incarnate because he, he's longing for that experience and then here, what I do with my character, with my temperament, is work for the soul. The soul works on this, and then on the other side, when we go back to where we belong, in a way, um, we we grow. There's something that gets perfected. And I'm not a, a theologist. I'm not somebody who really understands all that. But the cosmic dimension is the most important when we come on Earth. And why? And how come that family? Why that country? Why that year? Why? If we died at the age of five because of leukemia, what is the value of all of that? Where are we going to go? And what kind of mission? As you said, you were on a mission. Um, what kind of mission mm -hmm. we have? So the idea of having 10 children, or nowadays two, three, and leaving them in daycare, you know, for many, many centuries, Parents who could never would breastfeed their kids, never would take care of them. The wet nurses were there for that. That's profound. Isn't that profound? And even now in restaurants, if anybody sees a mother breastfeeding, people get very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, like, like it's this, God, you know, like she's stripping. I mean. It was something that was down. I mean, it was almost despised. You'd throughout Africa. Throughout Asia, 
and even in the Americas and in Europe uh, later, um, if you have, if you're part of the ruling class, you will not attend to your children. They're born. Amazing. Nurse comes, and you will give a little kiss here, especially if it's somebody who will. Are you telling me royalty and the elite don't breastfeed their children? No, I found one king of France it was Louis IX, Louis the Ninth, and he became a saint afterwards. He had married. A, <laughs> I'm sure a, he did. A, yeah, <laughs> he, he married a, a, a very young woman. She was in her early teens, and she, he respected that. And for a while, they didn't consume the, as they say, consume the the, the marriage. But then. They started having children, and he wanted her to breastfeed, and she wanted to breastfeed. And it was a problem in the court. Say, Majesty, we don't do that. I mean, like this is not for, for royalty. It's, it's complicated. I'm sure it's complicated. Um, look at what's happening today. I mean, you rarely see it, ever, ever. I mean, it is so rare. It's like, woo. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Laura Uplinger on It's Rainmaking Time. Thank you very much for watching It's Rainmaking Time. It's a great pleasure to be back after five years of hiatus. I thought when I originally did 400 shows, that was it. We had about 20,000 people listening. It wasn't really moving. It was staying around that time. I was getting tired of doing it. I didn't have a big enough team. I didn't have enough people assisting me. And it was growing uh, tiresome. So I stepped away and I said, I don't want to be another voice on the Internet. If, if it's rainmaking time can't be a distinction in the realm, I don't want to be on it. And, um, and I noticed that when I was in Europe, I did a couple of specials, but I really missed it. And now that video has come along uh, such a way and the technology is there, I'm set up now where I have video and audio. I'm very excited to be back. But also the big distinction here is I'm coming back to do a lot of commentaries about things I would ordinarily never talk about, never approach, and to give myself space to be with you differently, not just in interviews, but for you to hear from me more. So you'll be hearing a lot of talks. And look for commentaries. It's Rainmaking Time. Website needs a complete revamp, rebranding, re-everything. We've been looking for months and so far haven't found anybody yet to do it. But we hope that you'll suggest people. We're also making a call for graphics people, researchers, people that would assist and volunteer on some level, whether it's three, four, or five hours a week, to assist. We need all kinds of help. What's coming is a membership site, but not from the traditional sites, because what we've noticed is that the internet has become a closed system. It's, um, it is not the internet we thought it was. And thank God for the next internet that will be here sooner than you can believe. Thank you very much. And back to the show. I was an RH baby, just as an FYI. I was RH positive. My mother was RH negative. The doctors told my mother it's very likely the baby could die and the baby would be really, really, be, be easy on the baby because the baby will be really slow in school, very, very slow mentally, <laughs> terrible in sports. <laughs> uh, and um, at birth, 
it just so happened, I'm just using this as an example, I was removed and kept in the hospital for three weeks uh, by the Red Cross and Cedars of Lebanon Hospital and given 17 blood transfusions. So any, any, any of these kinds of experiences have an imprint in a baby's life and um, even the mother being told while the child is in the womb, you know, you're, you know, be easy because we don't know about this and all the things that we're told. I want you to talk about the epigenetic side of the child being in the womb, receiving the information and organize the organization of the neurophysiology. Talk a little bit about that because... There are a lot of mothers now that will talk to their, their, their babies in the womb, but a lot of them may not, may not think it's really, nothing's being heard, picked up. Talk about that. Yes. Our time in the womb is our time of most complete and total receptiveness to who the mother is. Why? Because it's very important for the baby to know about the world he or she is going to be born into if it's a world of violence, a world of everything. So if I have a, I'm in the womb of my mother and she has a doubt about me, she's been told that I will be slow. Well, of course I'm not going to comply, but I feel a disconnection. I know I'll be on my own. Other, other ones will comply, will be slow just to please the mother and the doctor. I bet in your case, your mother knew better. There wasn't enough hope in her. I don't think she had that complete faith in doctors. I think she knew how to think. That's my idea about Well, your that's very flattering of my mother. I will tell you that um, uh, Joanne and Buddy Greenhouse tried for seven years to have daughter two, which I am. And my father would come home from work and they would do what they did. And they tried for seven years. So I definitely felt and feel wanted, at least from the story of it. I was invited and I was wanted, but then came the emergency at the birth time. I probably was negotiating with the gods. Should I come in? Should I not come in? What's the story with this? What's the story with life? <laughs> For me, in my interpretation, you are one of these beings with that strong conception and that great invitation. You could sail through the through the oceans and the waves and tempests of the kind of birth you had. And so did your mother, and so did your father. The, the conscious conception strengthens everybody. And I really recommend it, because it's the only moment in our parenting years that we are completely free to decide. It's when we decide to have a baby or not to have a baby. If um, for those who are going consciously towards a conception. This is the only time when they are given the power to say yes. And that power of surrendering to a force in the universe strengthens them enormously. So during pregnancy comes a moment of, whoa, something is wrong. My baby will be slow. Well, I'll protect my baby. See, perhaps you received love from your, from your mother. If for each case is going to be separated, but your genetics were all there, ready to go. But the way it, our genetics work is they take information from the ambiance, atmosphere our mother brings in, 
And then we select the genes that are going to be expressed and those who are going to be silenced. It's like a, a, an orchestra. What, what is the selection mechanism? What is it? Well, it's a complex mechanism. In our DNA, we have okay. many possibilities. And for instance, um, Peter Nathaniels, a teacher at Cornell University for a while, and one of the great um, proponents at the beginning, I mean, he disseminated the idea of epigenetics very well. He said, anybody can louse up a Shakespeare. Like, a being is coming with a full potential, uh, genetically speaking, to write in, in, in rhymes and verses and plays and deep philosophical questions. But the mother is very anguished. She's under relentless stress, that chronic toxic stress. And all this genetic expression that needed or could have come will be silenced because those genes are not interested. You're not going to be writing beautiful things if the world outside is filled with anguish. Remember, the child knows about the world through the way the mother sees life. Um, for, we think it's only her vision of life, yes, but for that baby inside her, this is the whole world. And uh, in your case, you certainly had a woe. What is that? But resilience and a robust neurophysiology due to a conscious conception and a mom that is in love with life and really wanted to be pregnant, that gave you enough joy. By the way, joy is the great biochemistry. We talk about stress in pregnancy, how difficult it can be for the organization of that genetic expression. But joy is exactly the biochemistry in the blood that, that will allow every cell to be at its best, even for you and for me today. We're past childbearing age, but we still need... Thank God for me. <laughs> yeah, but we need our body Dude, to function. Dear God. Hmm? Well, that's done. <laughs> the, okay. the age has. But, um, um, without joy, there's no life, Kim. It's amazing. This is a message for all of us. But in pregnancy, everything comes double. Isn't the pregnant woman also picking up information in the ecosystem, in the environment, with all the things? And like today, with all the electronics going on, the microwave stations, the cell phones, the wireless systems that are now impacting the lives of pregnant women and their families, okay? So we have a whole different ecosystem at work today. And I don't know how much has been done about that, but, but that's, a, that's a definite uh, biological stimulator uh, that, is, that is not organic to the process that's still in the mix. And it's a very important remark because we have the electric magnetic pollution and we have all the... Um, toxicity of the foods we have, all these, um, um, you know, we call them agrotoxics, all these fertilizers and pesticides, they are really a hindrance for the good development. But who has the last word about it? It's still the mother. I know that in some umbilical cords in Europe a while ago, they found around 100 pollutants. We're talking about umbilical cord. So some say that the amniotic fluid is sometimes a sea of estrogen. Why? Because of those... Um, plastics and all the other chemicals and everything. And those chemicals, 
they are from plastic, of course, but they imitate, it's amazing, they mimic estrogen, so they will occupy the estrogen receptors. So poor little guys. Fascinating. It's yeah. absolutely fascinating. And I would bet you... But wait, they depend, it depends on how the mother sees life. If there is enough will for life, the human body can transcend much more than we think. We're not just, oh, I'm a victim of the environment. Oh, I'm a victim of the toxicity of the food. No, we can be stronger. We have resources in us that are way beyond our imagination, like a, um, a fairy tale, like an Aladdin uh, genie. We have it in us to confront the most horrendous kinds of pollution if, but only if, we are at one with life. And this is the most difficult thing. Because for the same kind of electric pollution, electric magnetic pollution, for the same kind of uh, food pollution, you have children very well born and children who really suffer the consequences, including deficit, attention deficit disorders and other things. So, and autism comes in this whole thing with too many ultrasounds and too many oxytocin, too much oxytocin, like the pitocin, the artificial oxytocin. So we have reactions to the same, um, um, like adverse uh, substance that will depend on how the mother is feeling. The one who has the last word in pregnancy is the mother. I want you to talk a little bit also about what Bruce Lipton talked about. We had him on the show some years ago. A little bit more about uh, you had, in one of your interviews, you had talked about an implicit, implicit memory. Talk about, talk about it. And you talked about also the functioning of the, the functioning of the organs uh, in a stressful pregnancy and what stress does to the blood, et cetera. It, it's, it's, it's important. Now, one would assume that pregnancy a priori is stressful, has its own kind of built-in natural stressors. You have what we call healthy stresses. I mean, right. you're a singer. You're going to go on stage. <laughs> you have this huge audience. Woo. You have this thrill. And then you, you sometimes even have stage fright. But then you go, and then you sing, and it's amazing, and uh, and you belong to your art. This is a very healthy stress, and um, we have many situations in life that will be stressful, and we overcome it. And the baby inside, if this is a pregnant woman being stressed, the baby inside says, "Oh, so this is stress, and this is how we recover physiologically." Fantastic. But the toxic stress, and there is a a book that describes very well this kind of a toxic stress is scared sick and there's a beautiful um, in scared sick there is a beautiful description about the prenatal stress um, a stress that is toxic could be a simple thing like going every day to work at something you don't like you go to work, you don't enjoy the environment, you don't, don't enjoy the task. It's not your kind of work, but you have to do it because you need to. I don't know why it's not nationalized or inter made international that once a woman's pregnant at a certain time, it's done. She doesn't have to show up for work. She doesn't have to. None of that. Greece. Yeah, they did it in Greece. As soon as she wants to, to quit working, she can in Greece. It, the law allows her till the child is one year old. And I've seen women working right up to the month before. And they miss unbelievable. 
I missed on the what was your first question, Kim, before the, the, the neurophysiology? Oh, to talk about the, Im- the, impact, the impact of the information, uh, the information flow on the organs. No, but uh, before had, that. Before the that, implicit you, memory? Are you talking yes, about the implicit the, memory? Right. You, yes, had, this, you had done an interview. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's important, that, that, that part. Okay. Because, you know, everything we do, Everything we are is recorded in us as we live. But as we live since that first cell, and remember, the egg and the sperm, they had the the memory of who that man was and who that woman was. We women, we carry our eggs, most of them, since the womb of our own mothers. I mean, we were in in her womb, and already our eggs were born. So we have in us a lineage, an amazing maternal lineage. Everything that happened, even to ancestors that is transmitted, the language of life, one of the main languages of life is memory, recording. We invented um, a tape recorder, a record, record player. We can record things because somehow this is how the universe works. So in me right now is pulsating a memory of who I was, even before being born. When I was an idea in the mind of my father, who had the sperm, who conceived me, and my mother, who had that egg, who conceived me, I mean, present at my conception. This memory never ceases pulsating in us and organizing even how we perceive life. Some people go into rebirthing and get to that time of conception. Transpersonal psychology gives the the opportunity for some people to explore how much we inherit. I remember an experiment with a little rat, a lab rat, of course, um, who was hit, a male, who was hit in his hind leg um, five times a day for three days. Then he would rest for a week and copulate with his little mate, female rat. They had pups. Oh yes, every time the rat would get hit, not wounded by hit, and it was disagreeable, there was a gas in the lab, a gas they often use that smells a little bit like almond. Well, Kim, the pups, as soon as they were able to to move on their own, they were terrified by the smell of that gas. So we're wow. talking about that's amazing. One- one information through a sperm of a rat, we're not even talking about a human being, and a father. So the fears and the joys. And the and olfactory, in the, the olfactory region. Factory. Is yes. all, uh, uh, is, is, yeah, oh, I got you. See, so the day my father conceived me, the day your father conceived you, who they were and had been. Well, is that a correct statement though? I want to go back a second here. I want to understand something. The day my father conceived me or did the, was the consent? This is where I'm unclear. Isn't the conception a space, a space. There is no, the father conceived, the mother conceived the conception. Isn't the conception its own thing? I love it. You then the cosmic, the cosmic, the space, the energy. There is cosmos, but it's based on the physical energy. It needs a support here. So, and so according uh, to the physicality of that sperm and that egg, a soul can come or not come. 
Right. Understood. But but I just want to I just want to backtrack to make absolutely sure I understand you and that the audience understands you. Are you saying that conception is in the ejaculation and not in the space between the vessel of the woman and the ejaculation? It will be in all of it. Okay. Well, when you articulated it, it, it sounded like the father's conception. I was like, yes, I thought it was. Okay. Okay. I just it's want to a, clarify. Yeah. For the cosmic event to take place, we need a receptacle. That receptacle, yeah. that conception will be an egg and a sperm. They each come with their story. The book of Thomas Verney, one of the founders of prenatal psychology, He's a Canadian psychiatrist. His last book that came last October, The Embodied Mind, is an amazing book on, on the cells, their language, their memory, the life in a cell, any cell in our human body, for instance, how this memory, this knowing, uh, this awareness keep going and their ability to work with each other and inform each other about everything. And this is forever. I have. This is why we call conception of a child, a fractal. What happened there from the physical and the cosmic becomes a little form that will influence everything else throughout pregnancy, birth and life. In me, that memory still pulsates of that first impulse that brought me. An impulse that had a response from the cosmos, because I was conceived, but also it had a whole component of the physical. Without a physical body, you don't conceive anybody. The person is so, still not related. We know that now, since the remote viewers came online in the more traditional Stargate project, we know that there is some recording cosmically of everything that was, is, and will be, even though we have free will. And so we know that all matter is animate and is stored. So I want to go to the part with you about where you talked about the stories around pregnancy, the stories the women tell themselves, the stories that are told to them, the stories surrounding it and why it's so important what the inner story about life is for a pregnant woman, both actually before the pregnancy, but certainly during. Right now, Kim, this is a very sad chapter of our human civilization. We have bought into this materialism because this scientific, before there was scientific determinism, of the genetic determinism about the sperm. So they thought that no matter what the woman would feel or whatever she would do, it would not reach the baby because the placenta was protecting it. This is an age where we did not know so much about biochemistry and how those endorphins or catecholamines, adrenaline, would gladly cross the placenta wall. Yes, the placenta protects against some bigger viruses or other things, but it's a very poor environment. What our culture thinks about birth is so poor. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that for so many, the great ideal is to spend the weekend drinking beer. Um, there's nothing, there's no purpose of being alive. We can play video games endlessly with an idea that we are accomplishing something. Of course, we can relax playing video games. Of course, it's, of course it's interesting, but how can it be the, the objective of one life if nothing gets accomplished? Um, we just do little things on the screen. 
but it's it's virtual now engaging my whole will and understanding for something that is important to me either research either I don't know writing either composing with life very few have it but we don't see the other we think that we should see the invisible world in order to have faith but all the manifestation don't we know people by their work well look at the work of creation look at mountains and forests and oceans and look at this extraordinary amount of events that are happening right now as we both of us are talking just all the vocal cords just everything happening right now is so sublime and some people won't have it they're in hospitals bedridden with intubated they cannot even sit up so to have this wonderment for life is something that is lacking so when a woman gets pregnant usually there's a cloud of fear from all those surrounding her surrounding her of and excitement there's, no there's excitement too excitement, yes celebration but it's a celebration always with a what if what if like you know what what if i mean i lived in los angeles i remember driving and being stuck in the freeway and sometimes underneath um uh, an overpass with all those cars whoops if the if there's an earthquake here i'll be under and what if we can go about the risks of life you go downstairs upstairs there's always a possibility for something to happen but do we deal with that before everything else of course not otherwise we wouldn't even move so let's take an optimal scenario you spent 40 years in so many countries, okay, trying to raise, doing what you could to raise the awareness and the consciousness of the importance of not only conception, of not only gestation, but the entire pregnancy and everything that goes on in and around it. And so you get to this point in your life and you say, what is, when is a, success declared for humanity in this area what does it look like let's get to it i want to usher this in what's the success where we say this civilization finally remembered the ancient reference point of how to how to do this how this should be done, why it should be done this way. What is it? What's the success? When you meet the end of your life and you're looking into <laughs> humanity and you say, oh my God, I spent all these years on this, championing this consciousness, this awareness worldwide, hundreds, millions of people you've impacted. What, puts, what will put a smile on your face for this civilization when you're in heaven? Yeah, the idea. I know I asked you a very lightweight question. <laughs> I love utopia. You can breathe it. during this if you'd like. If someone asked me that, I'd fall on the floor. <laughs> I had to leave you with that one. Well, Come on. it's important for me. The most specific thing would be that conscious conception. It would mean that as they're growing up, boys and girls know about this magic stuff of expecting a baby, of being one day a father, mother, having been expected, because babies do remember birth. So th this thing is talked about in our arts, in our uh, fairy tales, in our 
um, classrooms and then comes teenagerhood and they know a little bit more about what we're talking right now but always with a question mark gosh the more we study all this that seems so mysterious the more we penetrate this mystery the more mysterious it becomes and the more thrilling it becomes to be part of it so conscious that go a couple for a couple to go happily towards an offering in the love making to a possible soul to come but a relaxed couple being of service good luck to on love. that one there's so much stress in the world today i mean i would i i can't imagine all things being uh you know an optimal scenario and souls are still going to come in right they're still going to come in maybe the father's not ready or he's not a father in other words he doesn't want to be a father he loves the woman She's not ready. Maybe she, you know, like who's ready for this? Yes. First, we're never ready. You're right. To be a parent at the age of I 19. I certainly wasn't. <laughs> but babies teach us how to be parents. This is interesting. Mm -hmm. We are taught by our children. But we, we're talking about the best case scenario. So then I die. And I realize that thanks to the effort of my colleagues and, and, and mine, the more and more couples will get to the moment of conceiving a baby knowledgeable about those things, ready even to forget everything they know. Because once you conceive, let life be the ruler. Let joy be the ruler. There's no program. There's no how to be pregnant. That would be a pity. I mean, if the uniform uh, way of being pregnant was horrible, um, we need to have a, each pregnancy very different of the other. We are different human beings. The the incoming souls are very different. And how our colors are going to mix, it's going to be a bouquet for each one. So if the act of lovemaking, if we could have a society which would equate sex and love, I mean, not equate, bring them together. We have divorced them for so long. I mean, I remember in ancient Greece, they had the etera, the woman with whom you really would have a love affair and she would go with you in battles and have your children but at home you will have your wife with your estate with your official children i mean please why this dichotomy why can't we have sex for pleasure with love it's, it's i agree it's just i mean it's uh, it's a great question to ask and i'm not saying it doesn't go on and that there isn't the fusion and the integration and the uh, harmony and the 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 fusion of the two but there's also a lot of really good sex and babies still come decide to come in based on some cosmic contract that may have been happened in another realm that has to do with those two beings but so you will be smiling from heaven when you know and can see and sense that there is a, uh, a much more expedited space, a more manifest space in relations in the, in the unification of love and, and love and sex or the real lovemaking. Is that correct? Yes. Correct. And from then on, we can expect a much more inspired pregnancy and, and joyful, of course, and then the babies born of this kind of pregnancy will carry with them with life another another look on life 
and thanks to that other look on life, they won't pollute, they won't say yes to corruption the way we are polluting now and saying yes to corruption. They won't, I mean, it's, it gets to a point with a, a pregnancy lived in harmony after such a conception, you can start closing your prisons and your psychiatric asylum, uh, asylums. That's a big order you're talking about. You're talking about a big order. I'd like to put a few politicians in some asylums right now. God knows how their conception and, and pregnancy was. We should probably check that out. I've got a few of them I've got to ask. I would. I would check that out. I would check that out. Were they breastfed? Were they, was their mother enchanted by them? Or did they have to conquer her? Always thinking they were not enough. You know, this is a plague. We think we're not enough. Low self-esteem, um, Kim, brings us aggression. We have aggressive friends. And sometimes we are aggressive. I've been told I'm aggressive. I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's different. No, you're assertive. No, we're not talking yeah. about assertiveness. We're talking about aggression. We wanting to destroy. If I'm on a tennis court, I'd like to destroy you if you're my opponent. Go ahead. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, know, I, I do know what you mean, and I'm, I don't mean to, to joke around about it. But I get what you're saying. There's a long lineage in this there's a long strand there's a universal strand of how people are going to turn out even though we have free will there's an impact yes in this whole scenario that's your point is it not a lot will depend on the quality of the soul but every time somebody um, has low self-esteem beware of that person that person can be very aggressive even against you because well, i mean it's yeah. it's i mean and but, when does self-esteem start? That that would be that would take us to preconception, to be wanted and invited. And then, of course, if there is an unwanted conception, suddenly unplanned, and then whoops, the couple changes their mind. A lot can be redone along the way. We're talking about a holography. Now you're getting very, very advanced on hol holography. That should be another segment. But let me let me give you an example of something. When I was pregnant and I struggled and struggled, I almost had a nervous breakdown, if there is a nervous breakdown possible. And I prayed and I talked to, I really felt I had a son. But anyway, I talked to my son. And I said, look, you know, my life is really, <laughs> I don't know if you want to come in right now because um, I want you to check it out because I'm not really in the best shape to receive you. And neither is this gentleman here. Uh, but if you want to come in and go for the ride, come on in. And I miscarried about, I don't know, a few weeks later. So I was like a miscarried six or seven or eight weeks. I can't remember. But I was open. I was open to going the whole thing, the whole way. And, uh, uh, but I was still inviting him in. But I, I, he knew I was stressed beyond like belief. It was, he, he probably looked at the situation and went, oi. I don't know about this. I'll see you. <laughs> see you next life. You know, this Association for Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology, we have a journal. And in the first journals, there were some cases of psychotherapy of a woman planning to have an abortion. Um, I don't know, on, on, on Wednesday, and this is Friday. And she's at her session with a psychotherapist. And the psychotherapist asks her to to welcome the baby, explain the reasons why it, this is not a, a good moment and why she's go, 
go and have an abortion. I mean, the whole, and give a name perhaps to the baby, if it's a boy or a girl, sometimes they feel the sense like you I gave. I gave my boy. son a name, it was a great name. I'm not gonna tell it on, on the air, but I love yeah. the name. And then during the weekend, the woman miscarries. So- Oh, that's interesting, fascinating. Yeah, because and, yeah. The, the child will never be against us. There's no such a thing as life being against us. But we put ourselves in some situations and then we get an imbroglio and it's difficult. But yes, there's somebody who's attentive there. And that's for sure. That is for sure. And in my experience, I experienced it. The other thing that was a revelation, I just thought I'd bring it up, not to go into this other juncture of discussion here at this moment, but to tell you that for many, many years, I could not understand I grew up in a very liberal family in Los Angeles. I could not understand why if a pregnancy was unwanted, literally unplanned, unwanted, blah, blah, blah. Why wouldn't, why are women struggling? Why don't they just get an abortion? And then I had the moment of reckoning where it happened to me. (laughs) And I ended up in humble pie, okay, dealing with the conflict of what to do. What's the call? What is my responsibility now? And, you know, you know that nobody shares what really goes on with an abortion, what really is done. I just learned this in the last year, but that's a subject for another show to tell you that um, the quote unwanted pregnancy. Do you feel that there is such a thing as a true unwanted pregnancy? Yes or no? And there's probably a gray line in, in, you know, probably somewhere in between, but intellectually, yes, there is such a thing. I mean, with my mind, I really don't want a pregnancy. It's going to disrupt the life of my, my parents or my, my boyfriend or whatever. But if I am pregnant, there was a yes from me, from my own body. So not in my lifestyle, not in my mission, there wasn't, but, but I got to a point where I was willing, the willingness and the direct communication with what I, who I felt to be my son. Yeah. And then you got to an agreement and that son said, okay, I'll find myself another womb. Yeah. It was was sad. It was sad, but it was, it was, you know, and it's important to mourn these ones. It's important to say goodbye to them. There are some wounds after so many deaths who become a tomb and um, it gives birth to people who won't dare being themselves because so many died before. That's a very interesting comment, particularly when we know that matter holds the memory of what's happened before it, in it, during it, etc. Fascinating. Laura Uplinger, how do people get in touch with you for you to speak on all these different subjects pertaining to birth, pregnancy, the prenatal world, and what's, and the evolution of what's happened? How do people get in touch with you? Well, Laura Uplinger on Instagram or Messenger, it's easy to get uh, to me. And um, I'm open, of course, to all kinds of dialogues and conversations and projects. And um, it's always a joy, a delight for me to, to have conversations about the relevance of pregnancy for the future of humanity, because a pregnant woman does not expect just a baby. That woman expects the toddler, the child, the teenager, but the most important part is the adult. 
How many years are you an adult? 60 years of adulthood or more, where you're going to live your own imprint on this world. So you better be well equipped inwardly and physiologically to live life with, um, with a partnership with life. I want to thank you for joining us on It's Rainmaking Time. I'm sorry it took so long, <laughs> so long for me to evolve, to invite you on and to do this. Actually, it was a very um, uh, complex subject to, to navigate and to talk about. And uh, there's so much more. Well, we could talk hours, I, and I know we probably will do another session, two or three, but I just want to thank you so much for joining us. And I want to thank you for the over 40 years of work. You've been champion, a really a champion for women, uh, women's pregnancies and um, their joyfulness and conscious conception and the prenatal space. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Kim. Thank God bless you, you for bearing. God mm. bless you, the woman. Thank <laughs> you. It's rainmaking time. We also want to thank Hal Uplinger, for bringing me to his wife, Laura. And uh, we wish him the best in heaven. I know he's here with us and, and, and present to this. I know you miss him terribly. Thanks again. God bless you. Okay. It's a wrap. <laughs>